Section 59 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Segur. The Regeneration of a Parish Seven or eight years ago, the venerable bishop of a diocese, sadly remarkable for religious indifference and neglect of the sacraments, summoned a young priest, pious, humble, and devout, in order to confide to him a strange mission. I have, he said, at the extremity of my diocese a population of more than 800 souls, who have no religion and no church within their reach. It is necessary that these should be saved, evangelized, and I have thought of you. A parish must be created there, and I have appointed you the curé. Only I can give you no money, and there is neither church, nor presbytery, nor school, nor stipend. Have you the courage to undertake this mission? The good priest knelt down. Command me, Monsignor, he said. I am the child of obedience, in verbo tuo laxaborete. And he departed with the blessing of his bishop, or rather of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, hidden in his bishops as a kind of sacrament, continues through them his divine ministry of the Good Shepherd, even until the end of the world. I have the honor and the happiness to know this priest, and it is from himself that I have received some of the details I am about to relate. He commenced by consecrating the whole of his little patrimony to enable him to commence building a church. This patrimony amounted to little more than 300 pounds. His father and mother gave it up to him with the understanding that, as they were both very old, he should make a home for them and provide for their necessities. Another old lady, a widow, who had previously helped in paying the expenses of the ecclesiastical education of the new curé, did the same as his father and mother, and took shelter with them beneath the more than modest roof of her adopted son, giving up to him also the whole of her little fortune, which amounted to about five hundred pounds. And thus the walls of the church began to rise, in a manner built and cemented with charity and self-sacrifice, rather than with mortar and stones. The altar and pulpit were of plain wood, covered with colored paper, the walls were bare, but at last the curé was able to assemble his people there, to speak to them of God, to celebrate the Mass, and to teach the Catechism. The admirable devotion of the good priest made others desire to emulate his example. Three or four good women, ashamed at the miserable condition of the only chasuble in the parish, gave, for want of something better, their scarlet and blue umbrellas, and by joining the pieces together, made a chasuble more novel than new. Relying wholly upon divine providence, the good curé engaged two sisters to teach the poor children of his parish, hired, without money, a large shed or outhouse where they might be instructed, and soon sixty little boys and seventy little girls came every day to learn, first of all religion, which is the greatest science in the world then that secondary knowledge which even the most humble require for the daily needs of life, reading, writing, arithmetic, etc. 
The two sisters, now become sisters of the poor curé, were provided for by him and lodged in a kind of dormitory with his mother and his old benefactress. The expenditure of the kitchen was not very considerable. All denied themselves cheerfully and generously for the love of God. For more than a year, this little community only consumed a kilo of meat a week. The butchers of the place, fortunately for themselves, had other customers. The curé had also constructed a kind of presbytery. During the first winter, the little household did their best to keep from freezing. There were no panes in the casements, nor even frames in the windows. In the night they hung an old straw mat over the opening, and in the daytime they walked about and breathed upon their fingers. But if the holy priest were poor as regards temporal wants, he had become very rich in spiritual possessions. In four or five years he had gained for God the souls of almost all his rustic parishioners. Upon his arrival he had found fourteen practical Christians out of more than eight hundred inhabitants. Now he could count only twenty who had not fulfilled their Easter duties. And they not only fulfilled the obligation, the stringent obligation, which the church imposes, but a lively, earnest piety had completely metamorphosed a great number amongst them, so much so that at the principal feasts many hundreds approached the sacraments. Every Sunday fifty or sixty of the congregation came together to the church half an hour before the high mass, at the sound of the bell, and received communion. Every day there was a comparatively numerous attendance at mass, and ten or twelve devout Catholics, the best and holiest in the new parish, and the joy of their good curé, had adopted the sacred custom of communicating every day. The children especially filled him with hope. After their first communion, he impressed upon them as much as possible the necessity and happiness of frequent communion. Almost all received our divine Lord into their hearts every week or every fortnight, and the least fervent every month. I have, said the happy curé to me, little boys and little girls of thirteen and fourteen years old, who, whilst minding their flocks and working in the fields, never lose sight of the presence of God all through the day. These poor little ones have a great love for the Blessed Sacrament, and not being able to do more, for want of time and opportunity, they receive communion every Sunday. Besides poverty, which is so rich and so fruitful a treasure, besides the holy example of austerity, penance, and devotion which he had given to his parishioners, it was by the Holy Communion that this excellent priest had worked such a marvelous change kind and merciful to sinners, confiding in the goodness of the Savior and in the powerful efficacy of the Holy Eucharist, he gave Jesus to souls, leaving it to him to work a divine work within them and to strengthen their good will. For such confidence many reproached him. He was accused of imprudence and innovation, but facts which speak more clearly than words answered for him and silenced his detractors. Two or three times he was even publicly accused to the sea and was sent for to justify his conduct. And each time his bishop sent him back with renewed benedictions and warm encouragement. This opposition formed his principal cross, more painful than all his privations, 
and he told me that he offered them to God to obtain the conversion of the most hardened sinners. He made two or three journeys to Paris and obtained from several rich and pious families vestments and the help he needed to supply his church with all that was necessary, a beautiful altar of stone, a handsome pulpit, sacred vessels in silver gilt, chasubles, copes, etc., the Stations of the Cross, a bell, and lastly a parochial library, which furnished him with the works of St. Francis de Sales and other good and useful books to distribute in every family for the winter evenings. And today, the greatly loved and honored father of this great spiritual family, which he made his own at the price of so many sacrifices, he rests in constant work, still bringing souls to Jesus Christ year after year, and counting as nothing those trials which are changed by the love of the sweet and merciful Savior into perfect joy and abundant consolation. May our Lord raise up amongst us many priests with the apostolic spirit. May He make their labors and exertions fruitful, and by their ministry restore to life the spiritually dead, awake the sleeping, give warmth to the tepid, strengthen the weak and slothful, and, what is better and higher still, perfect the good and raise up saints. End of section 59